Today's reading will be from Colossians 2, 6 through 10. So y'all just take a second to turn there. And again, that's Colossians 2, 6 through 10. All right. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, John. I kind of like how we're switching up worship tonight. We uh, Sometimes you don't remember how things started. Uh, and this is one of the things, I'm not quite sure how it started, but normally like in church, when I grew up, you did like three songs and then at the end you played the same song over and over again until people walked an aisle and, uh, and made some sort of decision. Uh, and then like things shifted in worship and now it's just like, it just depends on where you go and what it's like. But I like the, the one song up front. It kind of gets, gets your heart ready. And then we have the reading of the scripture. And now we're going to have the sermon. And then at the end, you really get to kind of be present and just slow things down as we sing more songs together. I want to go ahead and tell you, one of our sweetest things I think that we have going for us is our our prayer team, and tonight there'll be folks in the back on this side of the room and on this side of the room. They are you. They are young adults. They have a heart for the Lord. They have a heart for you, and if you've never utilized them, I would encourage you, if the Lord puts something on your heart, it's always nice to have somebody to pray with you. That's it's called intercessory prayer. It can be about you. It can be about somebody else, but it's just nice, and it's biblical, and it's good, and it's the fellowship of believers in the Holy Spirit as we seek the Lord together, you can say as much or as little as you want about what is going on in your life. It's just nice to know what, that, that there's somebody else who's gonna help shoulder your burden for just a few minutes. So I would encourage you as the night goes on, if you want to, to access that, just feel free, especially as we close tonight in worshiping together. Uh, so we've been in this little series on the Trinity for uh, for three weeks. This is the third week, and we did it a little different. We didn't say week one is Father, week two is Son, week three is Holy Spirit, or some blend of that. Each week we've taken the idea of the triune God, going back to verses like Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, Shema, O Israel, Adonai Elohinu, Adonai Echad, uh, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone, the Lord is one. And so the Bible says the Lord is one, but at the same time, the Bible uses the plural Elohim, meaning God in the plural. And so as the Bible unfolds, we see this progressive revelation 
to the, when we get to the New Testament, we see the Son of God take on flesh and become Jesus. And then at the baptism of Jesus, you see in there the Father saying, Behold, my son, I listen to him. I'm well pleased with him. You see the spirit descending down like a dove. You see the son being immersed. And so you see the Trinity in full effect. While the Trinity is vastly beyond our understanding, the Lord has revealed himself to us. And so we want to say, okay, God, you are one. And in that one, you are three distinct persons. And so why would you reveal this to me? Why are you this? And how does that make any difference in my life? So from the very beginning, we talked about one of the key differences between the Christian God, our God, and all other gods is that all other gods start off as one. And one God existing before the world began seems to probably be bored, not happy, not complete. So that God, if it was just one God by himself, not three in one, would make people in order that people could make him happy, give him companionship. But we see from the beginning, before the world began, that God was complete. He was in perfect harmony with himself. And so that paints the picture, well then, what are we for? Why are we here? We're not here because God was lonely and needed some folks. We're not here because things were going great and he knew if he made us, we'd mess up and he could punish some folks. We're here to experience the love of God and to be drawn into him. And so we, we've just been kind of wrestling with this idea of the Trinity and then applying the Trinity to specific life issues. Uh, and so this week, we're going to apply the Trinity and our understanding of the triune God to relationships. Uh, and I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be great as we dig into it. It's going to be a minute or two before we get to relationships, but you got to walk before you, you know, you got to crawl before you walk and you got to walk before you run. And so we just need to kind of work our way to that spot. Let's take a look again at Colossians 2 verse 6. And I really want to walk us through, at least the first half of this sermon, I really want to walk us through these verses that John just read. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. All right, if you've been here for the last two weeks, if this is your first week, if you missed a week, either way, I'm going to give you a hall pass here. So hopefully somebody around you, you can still play along, but hopefully somebody around you is like, yeah, I was here every week. I want you to find the Trinity in that verse. Ready? With the people next to you, go. You can talk and stuff. It's fine, totally fine. It's Tuesday, it's casual. All right, if you haven't figured it out yet, it's too long. <clears throat> let, me, let me draw it out for you. So I'll draw, I'll draw this out for you. In, in Colossians 2, uh, in Colossians 2, 6, 
We see, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Now, it's a little bit hidden, but the Trinity is here. And this is the beauty of seeing God as three in one. You can read your Bible in a whole new light, and it becomes revolutionary. So, here we go. Are we drawing? I can't see behind me. Oh, look at that. We're drawing. That's great. Okay. Here we go. All right. Now, I didn't finish my drawing beforehand, so those are arrows. Okay. Now, <clears throat> here's the deal. We have the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Uh, Father here, Son here, Holy Spirit here. The three are one, and this is just a drawing. This is not how God himself looks. This is not, uh, this is not fully explanatory. This is simply a diagram. So you like theologians out there, don't, don't go crucify me. Pick on somebody else. Um, this is just a helpful tool. And so the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are all together. They are bound together in love and fellowship. 1 John 4, 7, God is love. And so we see the love of God here. Now, John 3, 16. What does John 3, 16 said? It said, for God, that's the Father. So often in the New Testament, the word God that means father. So for God so loved the world that what did he do? He told his son to go. He sent his only begotten son that whoever, whoever believes in him, this is the fascinating thing. This is penal substitutionary atonement. Whoever over here in the world believes in him he will have life. And how does that happen? Jesus pays the price. How does that happen? Well, the son over here became flesh, John 1.14. He joined with man, so he's got his divinity completely, but he also is man completely. And in 2 uh, Chronicles, that is the wrong one, 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says that he made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf. So Jesus switches spots. That's these two arrows right here. He switches spots, take the sin, we get blameless, and then what happens? He seats us. In him. Colossians 2, 6. Therefore, as you received Christ, how did you receive Christ? Because the Father sent him. There's the Father. The Father sends. We receive by the grace of Christ. We walk with him. How do we walk with him? That's the Holy Spirit who gives us the fellowship and the knowledge and the wisdom and the conviction to walk with him. So the Trinity is in Colossians 2, 6. And your Bible is full of that. It's just we read it so quick and we're so hurried and we're like, what about me? Where's a verse for me? And it's so much better when we see him. Then we find me. So we received, that's an interesting word, isn't it? How many of you, show of hands, were told at some point in your life you need to accept Jesus into your heart? He does not need your acceptance. He's God. He's complete. He's perfect. Now, that was told to me, and it wasn't told in a mean-spirited or bad-hearted way. It's just the wrong word. We receive the gift of God. But he doesn't need my acceptance so we receive, not accept, Jesus. If 
If you don't, by the way, get that right, even though it's like, an, it's a, not a terrible way to say it, it's like a nice way to say it, you actually <clears throat> can get into some pretty bad theology. There's theology out there called Christus Victor, and it's this theology that teaches that God's wrath wasn't what was satisfied on the cross, but it was Satan coming to get me. And when Jesus died on the cross, he was like, it was like this fight, and he like pushes Satan away, and now he wins me. It gives Satan way too much power. The Lord with a word one day will put him down forever. It's not a battle of power. And so this is, it's actually important to see this. Now, it says it, it, near the end of the verse, it says to walk with him. Walk is a great word too. And that's why it's like really good to kind of dig into the scriptures here. When it says to, to walk in him, the word walk in Hebrew, now the New Testament is in Greek, but the word walk in Hebrew means to live. And so this is telling us, and if you look at the drawing, this makes total sense. I am, I am in the Lord. I am in God as a believer. Anything I try to get my life from outside of him is now rebellion. And so therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so live in him. And then to illustrate that, verse seven comes along and it says that you are rooted and built up in him, not in anything else. The, the word in, I-N, the preposition, it's in here all the time. I asked John to emphasize it. If you thought that, like, John was, like, really struggling with the word in, if you were like, man, poor John, he's, like, really struggling with that preposition. Um, I asked him to emphasize that word because that word is such a great word, and, and it's an interesting preposition. I was, a, I was a literature minor in college, which is, like, related, like, the same English professors were, like, also teaching literature, uh, and so I still... I'm really bad with grammar, but, but I have tried. I have tried for a long time, and I've read a lot of books. But the word in, in, in all languages is, is a preposition, and, and sometimes in those languages, it is fixed in time forever. But sometimes in language, the word in is like for a season. The word in in Greek in this passage is fixed in time forever. So you were built up in him forever. You were established in the faith forever. You are to walk in him forever. Once we become a Christian, you're stuck forever. But what are you stuck in? You're stuck in the love of God. There, there's this old song by Rich Mullins, um, and I, I, I love Rich. Will Carlisle and I debate back and forth some, like who will be the next Rich Mullins. The only key to being the next Rich Mullins is you do have to die, unfortunately, young and tragically. Um, it's like the Christian version of the 27 Club. And so, uh, but Rich, but he was like 40 when he died. But anyway, Rich, Rich has this one song, and in the song, the line is, the reckless raging fury that they call the love of God. And that is what you are stuck in. But where else would you rather be stuck? You don't want to be out here 
out here somewhere floating around. That's where you were. And if you're a Christian, the Lord has brought you in. And so in verse 7, we see that if we are living in him, we're rooted in him, our nourishment comes from him. Do you see the, the, the words there? They're like deep, strong words. They're very earthy words. We're rooted. Like we go down and we get our nourishment from him. My dad and my brother, if you, come to, if you come to Friendsgiving, my dad and my brother are like landscape geniuses, and they like plant stuff all the time. And I can always tell when the new tree has come in, not just because it's little, but because no matter what, that tree has no chance of not being staked out. They stake that thing out in every direction. They go on every side, and they look at it, and they're like, it looks straight here. Yeah, but come over here. It's not straight. And then they like readjust the stakes, and they get the thing going with the nylon straps, and it is perfect. And you can tell every tree they planted after it's aged because it's the one that's growing perfectly straight. And, and the reason they do that is because they know when they initially plant it, the roots are not where they need to be to stabilize that tree. And so as believers, we've got to be really careful what our roots are in. And we've got to be really comfortable with the Lord, like, straightening us up a bunch, especially at first, when you first become a Christian. He's the ultimate gardener, John 15. Like, he's really good at straightening us up. And sometimes it's uncomfortable. And he adjusts the straps, and he pulls us tight, and he gets us because he wants us to be rooted and established in him. By the way, that's what good Christian community does, too. Good Christian community doesn't let you grow sideways, Good Christian community helps pull the stakes a little bit, helps tighten things up, helps, helps get you to grow straight. And they do it because of the reckless, raging fury of God. And then we become established in the faith. And that's good news, by the way. That idea of becoming established, I don't know if, you're, if any of you, some of you I know are like new Christians, some of you like, you, you came out of your like college years, the ones that you're like, please don't let my kids find out about that one day. Like you came out of that, and now you're like, but I'm living for the Lord now. And you feel kind of beat up pretty often because like the Lord is always convicting you about something. You just want to go to church one day and sit through one service and be like, ha, I did not feel convicted. Yes, I will go home and take a nap in peace. Like, you just want that. And I remember that. And, and you know what, though? That it's going to happen. At some point, it's not that we, that we reach perfection. But at some point, the Lord has knocked off enough rough edges that all those big ones are knocked off. And you become established in the faith. And it's a beautiful spot to be. Because you have such compassion on friends and coworkers and family members and other people when they come to Christ and they start getting those edges knocked off. You remember what it was like and you encourage them to stay the course. This is a season and it's a good season and you'll see this pruning season will be worth it. But we become established in the faith. Just as we were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Just a little side note on Thanksgiving, uh, just not, not the holiday, the word. Um, I do think that Christians need to like take this one to heart a little bit more. I'm looking at Robin. Oh, Robin. I love Robin. Will you raise your hand, Robin? Okay, there's Robin. If you know Robin, Robin is like full of Thanksgiving all the time. She is like, like tonight we have like 100 police officers out here. They're like, we're going to catch these guys that are breaking into your cars. Um, like they're, if Robin's car got broken into tonight, Robin would be like, 
Oh, that's so sad. Huh. Well, maybe they saw I was a Christian when they broke in. Maybe they'll come to Christ. You're like, Robin, get mad at them just a little bit. <laughs> like, pray an Old Testament prayer over them or something. And so, like, but I don't think it's just because Robin has like a pleasant disposition. I think it's because she remembers that she is seated in the heavenly places with the Lord. I think it's because she remembers who she is and whose she is. There's something about that that causes your disposition just to be a little bit brighter than the rest of the world. And it should be. And then verse eight, you see a break in paragraph if you're, if you're reading a, a paper copy or digital copy may have it in there too. It, it won't be up on the screen because I asked Sarah to put like one verse at a time up there. And, uh, and, but there's a break in paragraph. There's a change in thought when you get to verse eight. And it says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. One of the things that happens when you become rescued by God and, and you receive the gift of grace in Christ and the Holy Spirit begins to leave you, lead you and you experience the love of the Father. You have this Trinitarian rapturing that happens to you. One of the things that happens is Satan goes after people. And one of the easiest ways in modern America for Satan to go after people is to get them to question their logic. And you know people like this. You know people that will say things, whether it's political or whether it's, uh, you know, all the, the, the gender things that are out there, all the political things that are out there, all the what's right and what's wrong and, and how, to, how to hold yourself and speak in the corporate settings, all the things that are out there. You know some really smart people that will say some things that does not, like it doesn't make sense. If you broke it down, if you wrote it on a piece of paper and you said, show me how what you just said makes logical sense, they couldn't. But at the same time, they believe it and they say it and they mean it. And there's this like part of you that's thinking, is Christianity like archaic? Am I just behind the times? That is exactly from the Roman times that this was written to now. One of the major ways that people get taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit, the elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. We start to lose our confidence in who God is. And we begin to feel this pull of maybe I should think that way. Maybe I should believe that way. Maybe it would be better for me to think this way. Maybe it would be better for me to believe this way, whether it's career-wise, whether it's friendship-wise, whatever it may be. It's much harder to say, no, actually, if you know the old, the old parable, no, actually, the king doesn't have any clothes on. It's much harder to be the person who calls out the truth than the person who goes along with society. Just a couple weeks ago, we had the Duck and the Goose Conference. It's a conference that Jason, our lead pastor, and some of his like seminary buddies put on. And one of the afternoon sessions, I, um, <clears throat> I sat in on, and there was a fellow who, he lives in Atlanta here, and he works with a bunch of lawyers. And he said something that was so simple and yet so brilliant that I was like, 
Say it again. Say it again. Let me write that down. Somebody asked him a question. I think it was, it was either political or gender. It was, it was one of those two things um, from the lawyers that he interacts with. And, uh, and he said, let me just say something. He said, sometimes really smart people say really dumb things. And, and this is a man who went to an Ivy League school, has a bunch of Ivy League friends. Like, he's one of the smart people. He said, sometimes really smart people say really dumb things that don't make any sense because they have believed that is how they're supposed to think, even though they know it doesn't make any sense. And this is your permission. Colossians 2.8. This is your permission that, like, you can have a moment of sanity and you actually can think, no, that actually doesn't work. That's actually not best. And in doing so, you're bringing the love of the Father, the salvation of the Son, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You're bringing God Almighty into that moment. It's incredible. And you look at verse 9. For in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. If you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to, to write down Colossians 1, 15 through 20. Colossians 1, 15 through 20 is a whole other sermon for another day. It's a beautiful passage. It's one of those that I kind of like to preach on like once a year. It's an incredible passage. But I would just tell you that it's probably the clearest, most poetic most beautiful summation of the deity of Christ that there is in all of the New Testament. And Colossians 2.9 is a summary of what Paul had already written in Colossians 1.15 through 20. And then Paul ends the statement that we're going to read, the section that we're going to read tonight by saying, and you've been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. I think it's incredible that we remember that in the Lord, if we are in him, in the Father, in the Son, in the Holy Spirit, if we have been caught up in the love of God and we have received the grace of Christ, we're new creations, as we've been talking about on Sunday mornings, those, that, that famous passage in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're a new creation in Christ. That the person that brought us in, Jesus himself, is over the, the nurse that is in charge of all of the people that you and the others all, like the nurse that's in charge, that all you report to, in charge of her. The lawyer who is the partner that you report to is in charge of him. The person who owns the CPA firm that you work for is in charge of him or her. This verse tells us that the one that we are seated in, that when we get into the heart of God because of Christ, do you see the protection that is brought to us? This verse says, you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Nothing has ever touched you that Jesus didn't allow to come into your life. This is beautiful and powerful 
Tonight we have, like I said, I think, I think I said like a million, but we have like four officers outside and they're looking for the people that have broken into your cars and I hope they catch them and I hope they catch them real good, if you know what I mean, um, and then take them off. Uh, I, hope they, I hope that happens. And you know what, that gives me like great security that we're in here and they're out there and like we can rest easy. You should definitely bring your work bags in with you though. Just be good Atlanta people. Um, don't leave those in your car. But like, you, you know, like it gives great security that we're out there. And you know why? It's because I can see them. And the reason I have less security in Jesus who is over those officers, who is over your parents, who is over your boss, who is over all those people, the reason I have a little less security in him sometimes is because I can't see him. But I have to go back to when I gave my life to Christ and he radically saved me, when I received him and he saved me and changed me and the Holy Spirit began to do a work in me because of the love of the Father, I didn't see him then either. But one day, the scripture says, we will see him face to face. And so you're like, I thought tonight was about relationships, especially romantic relationships. It is, but like I said, we, to run, we gotta walk, and before walking, we gotta crawl, and so romantic relationships are running. And in my opinion, they're the easiest way for you to run off track, away from the heart of God who has brought you into his love. And so I want to belabor things like Colossians 2, 6 through 10, where we see the Trinity pop out of the pages, where we understand the permission we have to not give in to the deceptive, hollow philosophies of the world, where we understand that we need to be rooted and built up in him. I want us to understand all those things because I promise you, you can't date well and you can't marry well and you can't stay married well until you figure these things out. And so I don't want to give you just a bunch of self-help stuff that's going to get you out there and be like, cool, I found the next person I'm going to go out with and then break up with in two months. Like, I don't want that for you. I want you to figure this out first and who you are in him. You know, marriage is funny. I did tell Heather, um, I tell her, have I told you this? I don't know. It's kind of, I think it's funny. I tell her, I'm like, sweetheart, if I die, we have these conversations in our house all the time. I'm like, sweetheart, if I die, You've had looks, go for money. Just kidding. <laughs> she does the same thing. That's what she does. Yeah, she laughs too. Yeah, like you gotta be a little lighthearted. So here's what we're gonna do. Let's, let's take a look and see if we can't apply some of the things we've looked at tonight and some of the things we've looked at the last two weeks in the Trinity to relationships. So I'm gonna go back to the iPad for just a minute, and we're gonna ask a couple of questions of how does the triune God teach me relationships? And so I just wanna show you a couple of things that, that can happen in relationships. Are we up here? Oh, look at that. This screen, it's magic. All right, so here's the deal. This is a more simplified version of the drawing we just did, and this person, me, it can be you, is definitely a Christian. They're in the love of the Father through the, the gift of the Son, and they're being led by the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the problem. If you don't get this part figured out, this is gonna be you. It's a dude. If you're a girl, this is not you. All right, and now, 
what happens a lot of times is we start to make God smaller and smaller and smaller. And he becomes my little personal God. And so now, if, dude, let's see if this works. This is, you're not going to like this. All right, now, if dude meets girl with a similar mindset, when you, when you don't stop often and remember your right place in the Lord, I promise you this is what will happen. God will become smaller and smaller and smaller, and you will become bigger and bigger and bigger, and you will now become the boss of God. And you can tell it first off in your prayers. Your prayers begin to order God around. And that's dangerous on your own. Compound it with a relationship, and you're both ordering God around. This thing is going to end up in the counselor's office in about a week and a half, either together or separate. And it's because these people have forgotten that they are seated as brother and sister in Christ, first and foremost, in God, big God, little me. This, the problem, the big, huge problem with this is this makes big me, I hope you can read that, And little God. And so first and foremost, if that's happened to you, this whole series on the Trinity is not academic. This is the time for repentance. And to say, who am I to think I can order you around? Lord, you've saved me and I'm rooted in you. My nourishment comes from you. My life comes from you. My thankfulness comes from you. I walk, I live in you. We're gonna keep drawing things. Okay, this one. Ooh, I drew a bunch of stuff already. Good, I can just talk to you. Now, <clears throat> here's the deal. A right view of God teaches us why some of the things that people have preached on for a long time that people are like, but why, but why, but why? A right view of God teaches us so many of the whys. Why the body is a temple. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. Your body is a temple. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. When you understand the Trinitarian love that has attacked your life, you understand, oh, my body is a temple and I have been bought with a price. Therefore, I should honor God with my body. It takes all the emotion out of it. We need that when it comes to romantic relationships. We need to take the emotion out. We need to just look at the facts that God's laid out for us. There's no arguing with you were outside, alienated, way out here in the world. You were way out here. And God died for you, 
through his son, sent his son, his son died for you, his son saves you, the Holy Spirit leads you. You don't have any choice but to honor God with your body. Um, it makes a lot of sense why, um, if you've, like when I asked Heather about like her college time when she came back to the Lord, she says like the sweetest time in her life was right after she came back to the Lord and she would just spend hours in her quiet time. She would just spend all this time with the Lord. She loved it. It was just amazing. We had a little staff meeting the other day and I asked some of the staff members, I said, what was the sweetest time in your life? And they were like, either during college or right after college, uh, before all those folks were, were married, had been married for a little while, and they said, basically, before I got married. Every one of them said, before I got married. Well, why? Well, because right now, it's just you if you're single. And so you can understand that Romans, uh, when Paul talks about in Romans uh, I didn't write it down. I think it's in five or six. No, romance, not Romans. Thomas, come on. Okay, romance. <clears throat> when you can't read your own writing, that's not good. Yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 28 and 32. Paul says, he says, I'm trying to, I'm trying to free you up from the cares of this world. Because when you get in a marriage relationship, it's no longer just you. That's super important. This is like a really sweet time for you to know and grow in the Lord. And so we have some married couples here on Tuesday nights, and I love that. And, and you know, you could like testify, yes, the more relationships in my life that are intimate, marriage, kids, the more complicated my walk with God becomes. And... I think this also makes a whole lot of sense. 2 Corinthians 6.14, the verse that people love to hate, people hate to love, all those things about what fellowship does light have with darkness? Therefore, do not be unequally yoked. When you think about like the other people, the people living out here that are orbiting outside of the love of, of the Father, the salvation of Christ, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You're actually doing them a disservice by dating them, by marrying them. You are a stranger living in a foreign land. You do not belong to this world anymore. How are they ever supposed to understand that? That's why so many breakups are so hard because when somebody really starts to follow the Lord and they're dating someone who's not, they have to say, look, we just have these big differences and it all goes back to God. And then the person that they break up with, and I've done this before, I did this in my past, and it was so hard because the person you break up with is like, I don't understand. I thought we had something great. They don't understand where you are. And it also makes sense the verses in 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 2, where Paul talks about treat the men as brothers, treat older women as mothers, younger women as sisters. It makes sense that in Christ, all of us understand it is God first, and we're family. We should be behaving now in light of how we're going to live 
forever together then. By the way, marriage itself is an interesting thing because the two become one flesh, but the two who are one flesh still both have one God. They still answer separately to the Lord, but they are one flesh. Now they worship the same God. So marriage is a mini picture of Trinity, husband, wife, God. But in heaven, we won't need that picture We'll all be in perfect unity with the Lord. And so this even helps make sense of confusing verses like Matthew twenty two thirty, where Jesus said, in heaven there is no marriage. And so last, I want to give this to you quickly. There's a man named Richard Koken. He's a British man. Um, and I think he's British. He is from that part of the world. All right. I don't know if he's British or Irish. I've only heard him speak once, and I can't remember. Um, but that would be really offensive that I don't know that. So maybe not. Maybe he's like, it's cool. All right. Um, <clears throat> Zoolander style, maybe. I don't know. I should stop accents. Here we go. All right. So here's what I want to do. I want, Sarah, if you would put those two slides up on the screen, just the first one. Richard Koken says that the Trinity teaches us this when it comes to marriage and relationships. Since God is permanent, he designed for us to have lasting marriages and not divorce. Have you ever thought that the Trinity would teach us that? Have you ever thought that since God is triune, he designed us for marriages of intimate companionship to counteract loneliness? He says that since God is three equal persons, he designed us for marriages in which husbands and wives are equally dignified. Who would have known that the beauty of human love is simply a mirror of Father, Son, Holy Spirit? The Trinity teaches us all we need to know about how we should interact with each other. Since God is diverse and complementary, he created marriage to be diverse and wonderfully complementary within a heterosexual union and not a homosexual union. It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There is diversity. And when it is husband and wife, it echoes and mirrors that diversity. And since God's Trinity is ordered, the Son and the Spirit gladly submitting to the Father, he designed all human relationships, including marriage, with authority to be exercised lovingly and submission to be giving willingly without any implication of superiority or inferior superiority or inferiority the trinity the love of the father the salvation of the son the guidance of the spirit the three in one 
should be our all in all for our existence and should be our go-to for the relational recipe that we want to have exhibited in this life. And so, I want to ask you, as we wrap up this evening, maybe let's go back to the very, we can go back to the iPad as we wrap up. So, I put the, the me in the middle, right? And we've talked tonight about being alive, walking in Christ. Well, this person would be the one, the me in the middle. Built up in him, established in the faith as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving, not taken captive by hollow and deceptive philosophies. When it comes to relationships, how are you doing with these people out here if this is you in the middle? Or are you more over here and you've embraced some hollow and deceptive philosophies and maybe it's affected your sex life, maybe it's affected your speech, maybe it's affected your work behavior, maybe it's affected your dating relationships. If there's immorality in any form, it's time to reconcile. How are you doing with other people in here? Are there some people that you wish were like out here? Are there some people you're like, how in the world? I think the Trinity and a right understanding of a person in God should move me to check where I am. Am I over here fighting so hard to get out? Am I right here rooted in? Am I in conflict? Or maybe I realize as we study this, I'm one of these people out here. And I've known a lot about the Lord, but I don't know the Lord. And so I would just ask you as we end this series, next week we have Friendsgiving. I hope you'll all come. I do hope you'll fill out that Excel sheet that we're going to like put on the document because um, Sarah Stallings, who's running the slides in the back, really wants you to do that. She's heading that up. Um, <clears throat> I, I hope we'll have a great time. We'll come back. We'll do Advent for two weeks. It's going to be amazing. Then we're going to clear the chairs in here and have like a giant Christmas dance that's right, classic Christmas. It's going to be amazing, full-on like party band back here behind us. It's going to be a powerful. And then we'll take like a month off. And so what I'm telling you is the clock's ticking. And if you're not right here in the center, rooted in the Lord, waiting on him, loving him, getting your nourishment from him, then you've got business to do with him tonight. Pray with me. Father, you are so good to us. And Lord, I just thank you for these young adults. I thank you for Tuesday nights, the day of double blessing Tuesday. Lord, I ask that 
with the time ticking down on 2022, that you would just move in our hearts and convict us. Put us right back in the center of you. Big you, little me. Lord, convict us. Draw us to you, wherever we are. In Jesus' name, Father.